the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And the only pre-recording you'll hear on this show is from uh, Soundbites, which we play from time to time. Been looking forward to this moment. No better way to end the week than um, to do so with uh, our good friend, my very good friend, Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, a man of a great many parts. And um, Pete, hi. Thanks for joining us. I, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, my rhetoric has changed a little this week just for the the time. Um, maybe you appreciate it. Maybe you've experienced the same thing. People say it's hard to do what I do. I'm sure you've heard it. I don't think it is, and you probably don't think your job is. I don't want to speak for you, but I have to tell you the temperament and the word and the verbiage and the um, and the rhetoric uh, since Wednesday has been a little different for me. I can only imagine. Um, you know, I did catch the last hour of your show via live stream, and oh, okay. it is... Um, I was mentioning to one of the other faculty here, we're just getting the new school year underway right. here, actually in person yep. in Malibu. Yep. And so a lot of energy has returned to campus for the first time in, in two years and um, was speaking to a, a, a faculty colleague friend. And we just both kind of commiserated to say that it just feels like a total gut punch. I yep. mean, it feels like we're back in 9-11 mm-hmm. all over again, but actually worse in some ways because it seems like we're doing this to ourselves. Yes, Pete, you nailed it. You put your finger on it. So what, 9-11's commemorations literally about two weeks away, isn't it? I think it's about exactly two weeks away. Yeah. And um, leading up to it over the past month, I was you know contemplating out loud with the audience and guests what 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 we think that might look like up until Wednesday, you know, and I was worried about it. As I'm, by the way, worried about, you know, our 250th anniversary in 2026. I'm just yep. I'm worried about the way Americans view these very important day, <laughs> dates. Yeah. And then Wednesday happened. And boy, did it change a lot. And it dawned on me as I was thinking you and I get to talk. You've told the story a few times. I think you had a chance to do it recently with Oz Guinness as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But you look back. 20 years ago, minus two weeks, it changed a lot, including in your life. Yeah, it did. And actually, I'm, I'm going to get a chance to have another conversation with the great Oz uh, in D.C. in a couple weeks, oh, actually, uh, for anyone who might be out there. It's uh, actually going to be an event at Hillsdale's Kirby Center uh, there on Capitol Hill on uh, actually, two weeks from today, September oh, good. 10th. Good. And, um, yeah, you're right to say that was a, a date that, uh, being in New York City that day, um, began a series of events that uh, radically changed my career. If you had asked me on that day as I stood in the middle of Central Park, staring down at a plume of uh, brownish-black smoke that was coming out of what used to be the Twin Towers and asked me if I knew what Pepperdine was, much less where it was, I don't think I'd be able to 
answer that question as a kid who grew up in New Jersey, but uh, suffice it to say that that they precipitated um, really a serious questioning of, of what I was doing with my, with my life and um, through a long series of events has led me out here to this uh, special place in, in Southern California. So, yeah, I I have that same kind of feeling, but it, it just feels so much worse. You know, I, I have listened to your very good monologue and conversation about whether it's even possible for those who make the ultimate sacrifice to die in vain. And we look at what's happening now in Afghanistan, which, of course, was was our first military engagement following 9/11, and um, of course we don't we don't know what the world looks like no. a month from now. No. But we certainly seem to be setting up uh, what they call the status quo ante before before 9/11, and it's just very hard to wrap our minds around. There's a lot to say about that very notion of status quo ante 9/11 and. And I want to. We have some time together. I want to do that. We'll get to that. You were in New York on 9-11. I was in D.C. Of course, mm-hmm. we, di- we didn't know each other. Um, tell, tell the audience, take a moment or two and, and tell the audience, you know, how it did change your life, what, what, what decisions you did make. You, you went from a dreadlock-wearing ska band to <laughs> Republican <Very> Pepperdine. <laughs> <laughs> that I can describe it is it just felt as if the world opened up, Mm. Um, which is to say that um, to be there in the middle of Central Park and the only airplane noise you hear are Air Force jets that are circling Manhattan, um, making sure that another plane doesn't come down, uh, to start to be in that place at one thirty or 2 o'clock in the afternoon of that day uh, from where the day started as just another beautiful um, late summer day in Manhattan um, just felt like to me that, um, again, the, even, even to be in a very metropolitan city like New York, it just felt like my, my world and what I was doing with my life uh, needed some pretty radical rethinking. And, of course, this was an issue that had both political and policy implications, and i have always had an interest in politics at the time, and obviously still do, but had always been kind of a, not a hobby, but it had always been sort of a something that I engaged with either philanthropically or as a volunteer but that day really began this questioning about what God might have for me. It was this whole discussion and exploration of a concept known variously as calling or vocation. And even though I was a person of faith at that time, I frankly had never, I had I'd kind of bifurcated my life between what I was doing professionally and and what I what I did in my civic and mm-hmm. faith life. Mm-hmm. And that was the point at which the, that dividing line just collapsed. 
And for me, I really began to question that if God willing, I had another 30 years of my career, and I was 35 when when 9-11 happened, that um, I needed to be really intentional about these next steps. And that, of course, sent me back to um, graduate school and and um, and obviously the, the steps that have followed since then. And, of course, I'm seeing the same thing now, even before Afghanistan, to see the students that are coming here now, these 20-somethings that have come out of this and are still enduring this pandemic experience. It, it feels very similar to what I experienced as someone who went through 9-11 and had my own kind of career plans shaken up. I'm seeing the same thing with these kids, but to see specifically as we approach nine, the, the 20th anniversary and to see what's happening now in Afghanistan, I'm just completely gutted. That's the only way I can describe it. I'm just completely gutted. I, I'm supposed to give this talk on my 9-11 experience with Oz Guinness, and I, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get through it. I get it. I get you it. Know. I, You know, the word that I keep coming back to and I hear it a little bit underlying your story, Pete. The word I keep coming back to is is the word serious. You've heard over the years America is not a serious country um, when it you know can consume itself on things like, I don't know, Dr. Seuss, let's say. But we could yeah. come up with any number of examples. Yeah. Um, I remember and I think what I would say about your story and about so many others – is that 9-11 created a new seriousness. We were, if you will, living in a bubble up until then. Perhaps things were good. Things were pacific. The yeah. country was becoming very wealthy fast. Individuals, yeah. lots of new wealth was being created right around that time. And as Dr. Krauthammer once said, this bubble will end. It'll end with ice or fire. It ended up being fire. Yeah. And for a while, we were a more serious nation. I tried to document it at the time, Pete, but we we documented that AA and 12-step meetings were fuller shortly after 9-11. Yep. We documented that Bible sales were through the roof. Yep. We documented an interesting thing from divorce or family law attorneys that a lot of couples – filing for divorce had asked to just hold on to those petitions let's just let's just sit tight on that for a little bit let's see if we can't make things work uh, we became serious for a few for a few months and I just I or at least I should say serious became people became more serious and I just wonder if that seriousness when the times demand it is forever out of reach. Might we talk about some of that when we come back? Absolutely. Thank you, yeah. Pete. We are with Pete Peterson. He is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. It is a serious place. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. It's also a very good place. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's a delight to have my friend Pete Peterson on. He is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu, a smart and good and serious place if you are considering public policy and uh, graduate studies, graduate work, and then obviously a career to help make your community and this country better. Pete, right before, <coughs> right before the break, we were talking about the immediate aftermaths of 9-11, 
<clears throat> 20 years ago and its effects on the country, on our culture, on you, on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was at the time – you were in New York. I was at the time at a think tank, uh, Empower America, with Bennett and Kemp and Kirkpatrick, and we mm-hmm. decided to turn on a dime uh, that day. We were doing taxes. We were doing education reform. We were doing foreign policy with Gene and stuff. Everything that day changed for us too, and we turned on a dime and focused all our energies on the defense, the uh, intellectual and cultural defense of this country and the war we knew we would have to engage in. People said, you're crazy. You're crazy. Everyone wants to support this fight against terrorism. We said, just wait, just watch. And it didn't take too long. In fact, it took but about a week before some of the college professors started saying it was our fault and we had no business engaging in any reprisals. But when you talk about the full circle or the circle that might even have been made worse by the uh, decisions of the last several weeks and of certain the events of the last couple of days, when you think about it, that way, Pete, you hear the president tell us that our goal was to get rid of al-Qaeda and al-Qaeda is no longer a threat in Afghanistan. We only come to learn there is more al-Qaeda in Afghanistan now than there was before we went in. We have come to learn that we have uh, released thousands of al-Qaeda operatives from Bagram Air Base. We went in there to also throw out Obviously, the Taliban, it was in every Bush speech. It was in every debate about the AUMF. Joe Biden doesn't talk about that original goal, but certainly that circle has been completely undone as well. This is and can only be the work of a non-serious country, I'm thinking, Pete. Yeah, and it's we we wonder where it's coming from, right? Obviously, we're still at the front end of this and there is so much that we don't know about how these decisions were made and at at one level at least for some of the information that seems to be reported out that intelligence about the scope and scale of the taliban movements through the spring and summer was given to secretary of state blinken was relayed to president biden And so there was an understanding or an awareness that something like this could happen. Uh, But nonetheless, the president pressed on with these plans. And obviously, here we are in this incredible mess. The other part of it, which I don't think we yet know, is what, what was the quality of intelligence and information that the military had been gathering, not just this year, but over the last few years. Uh, Because I think one of the things that, even if you're just a crass American taxpayer, you have to wonder, um, why is it so difficult after 20 years, at least the last decade or so, of training up an army uh, the Afghan army, um, that they should collapse so readily. And and for us not to have a clear sense that things were in that state, that it really was only going to take a couple days um, for Kabul and a good percentage of, of Afghanistan to be overrun 
not just by the Taliban, but obviously now we've got this ISIS-K group. Um, and al-Qaeda, as you said, is being released from prison. Um, you know, I, I think that as Americans, uh, we really should know why we were, as Americans, uh, caught so unaware by the state of play mm-hmm. in Afghanistan mm-hmm. after two two decades of investing uh, blood and treasure. You're right on every level of that. And is it not too, Pete, part and parcel of an increased distrust of government and not just on this but let's say on a lot of the COVID things we've heard, too. Mm-hmm. There is a lot that has been said that has changed, that has been reversed. Even at one point, Anthony Fauci himself admitted, never mind the other items we have shown to him to have reversed himself on. But on one, he actually admitted that he misled the American people on the percentages for herd immunity. The American people are beginning very quickly, I think, to have a severe and increasingly chronic distrust of their government. That's the beginning of a very bad thing. It really is, uh, because as a nation state, um, and and obviously we are entering in, and I, I do agree with uh, the historian Neil Ferguson up at uh, the Hoover Institution in Stanford, who believes that we are entering a new Cold War mm. with China, um, there are different ways to run societies. Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. One, one, one is based on, on, uh, on fear mm-hmm. and oppression, mm-hmm. and the other is based on freedom, but also trust, which is something, Seth, sometimes we don't, we don't talk a lot about when we, we talk about the importance of freedom and liberty, but there is inherent in the discussion around a free society is one that trusts, trusts each other as citizens, but also trusts its leaders. And if we're not able to um, have that level of trust in one another or in our, and or in our elected leaders or our administrators, um, that puts us in an extremely weak and tenuous place. It really does. And it really does when you consider what the purposes of these institutions are, never mind a commander in chief and president of the United States and leader of the free world in one in one position or in one person. Never mind that. Just even the CDC. We say CDC. Its full name is Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That is its official name and prevention. It totally failed. Uh, on the name above the door in that respect, the CDC did. As far as this president, we are in an odd situation where at least my listeners or callers, Pete, are saying we've never felt less – we've never felt more leaderless. We've never felt more leaderless. Aristotle has an interesting discussion about – uh, the culture of the regime is shaped by the culture of its leadership, and the culture of its leadership is cul- is shaped by the culture of its regime. And right now, it is clear to me that this is a regime far, far better than its leadership. And uh, this isn't the idea of representative democracy. 
and it's a pretty far fall. There was some other news out of California today, uh, also invoking issues of terrorism. Can I can I raise the the release of Sirhan Sirhan with you on the other side of this break? Yeah, just breaking, but yeah, let's talk about it. You betcha, Pete. It's such an eerie story. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Pete Peterson, the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. Delighted to have him. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, just a little bit north of here. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu is their website. Based in California, Pete, as you are, particularly Southern California. And then when I heard you say that you and I are roughly the same age, um, it dawned on me I have been with the Robert Kennedy assassination really since I was born. He, 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 he was killed the, um, the year I was born. And, and you just think about the trajectory of knowing about this and what courses in history may have been changed by that event. But really, you step back for those that know the Sirhan Sirhan story. This is in the news because he was given parole today in part by the testimony, incredibly, of Robert Kennedy's son, Robert Kennedy Jr., um, two of his sons. Yeah, two of his yeah. sons. But his, his son, Robert Kennedy Jr., the prominent one, doesn't even think Saran Saran was guilty in the first place. Uh, this is such an eerie situation, despite eyewitness yeah. testimony, despite conviction, despite um, Rosie Greer physically tes- testifying to physically taking the shotgun out of Sirhan, the fired gun out of Sirhan Sirhan's hands when it yeah. was aimed at George Plimpton. Um, Pete, it's just so eerie. I I think of the Sirhan Sirhan um, assassination of Robert Kennedy as the first Arab terrorist attack on our soil. And the reason I say that is Sirhan Sirhan claimed that he shot Bobby Kennedy because of his support for Israel. And, of course, the PLO also did several uh, hostage actions to try and release Sirhan Sirhan. This was all inextricably wound up in in, in terrorism, Middle East terrorism, that came to our shores in '68. It's a very eerie thing to think about today. He being free, it is, and obviously the news is is breaking. Yep. Um, but from what I'm reading, it's still pretty strange. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, in one sense, he's 77. Yeah. Has been in prison for over 50 years. Yep. California does have a. Um, a review process called elderly parole, mm-hmm. which is kind of more lenient um, as a way of understanding that those in their 70s and 80s, and also uh, California generally has overcrowded prisons as a way of alleviating that. But you're right to say, um, you know, he's been up for parole 16 times, and most recently in 2016, and was denied parole just five years ago. Um, because the parole board felt that he wasn't expressing enough remorse. And even in this um, discussion with the parole board, um, at one point, Saran is quoted, and this is in the AP story, as saying, uh, Senator, this is a quote, uh, Senator Kennedy was the hope of the world, and I harmed all of them, and it pains me to experience that, the knowledge for such a horrible deed, if I did in fact do that, mm-hmm. unquote. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, it, it remains just pretty elliptical <laughs> as to, uh, you know, does he is he in fact remorseful for what what happened, or even sane, frankly, with a yeah. statement like that, even yeah. sane. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fair. It's an it's an eerie, eerie thing to think about in an eerie week in an eerie year that remember when we were convincing ourselves twenty twenty one was gonna be a release and a reprieve and a reprieve. Boy, I'll yeah. tell you. But you but 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 on the other side, as you said, you guys are going back to school fully in person. Yeah. And uh so I take it that the students, the kids are okay, huh? They are, and you know we're we're masked up. You know we're still in LA County. Yeah, uh, we're doing testing here on a on a regular basis. But all that being said, uh, seeing kids in person, I have to say, Seth, it was sensory overload just to see so many kids so excited um, here at the at the Graduate Policy School, and uh, and obviously to have everybody back in the workplace and. Um, to see so much energy back on campus here in Malibu is invigorating. Well, God bless you guys for doing it. And uh, give me a sense. What's the polling right now on whether to keep Newsom or get rid of him? Is it still pretty close? Is it hard to oh, it's, say? Oh, it's, uh, it's a margin of error. I'll tell you and why I, I think th- it's closer than than uh, than than the latest polls reveal. I, I've been – maybe you, you have better access. I've been looking for current polls. It seems yeah. there aren't that many, <laughs> and I think no, there aren't because the, right. the turnout models are just right. nuts, right. Right? right? I mean, the ability to try to gauge in not only an off cycle but an off term. Obviously, September fourteenth is not when most people are thinking about voting. Um, you know, it, it, people are wondering uh, with only two questions on the ballot how many people are going to turn out. Now, by and large, it's been the Democrats who have been hand-wringing in public about their their concern that Democrat voters are not going to turn out. Of course, my response to that is uh, not voting is still a vote, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there is a, a large right. segment of Democratic voters who will not vote to recall the governor but can't bring themselves uh, to vote to defend him either. Yeah. And I don't think that's an insignificant number yeah. of registered Democrats and and no party preference voters. No, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. I think that's right. I was thinking there weren't that many polls coming out of late because I can't imagine a polling company that would be on the side of recalling Gavin Newsom and that they're (laughs) not exactly happy with what they're finding. That was my best guess. Your your answer is good as well. Pete, uh, you're wonderful, and uh, I, I, I appreciate everything you do and everything you are in. Thank you for spending some of your, your afternoon and last parts of your week with us. Always great to be with you, Seth. Thanks. You too. God bless you, sir. Much appreciation and Godspeed. Again, Pete Peterson from the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, a serious and good place. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. When I say if we had better churches, better schools, and better families, we would have... 99% of our problems solved, you don't have to include the Pepperdine School of Public Policy as needing to be better. What we want is other schools to be like Pepperdine. They're leading the way. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Portions of which are brought to you by our good friends at Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. For all your air conditioning and plumbing needs, give Cool Touch a call. They are available 24-7 for you. I called them on a Saturday night once with a problem. They fixed it Sunday morning. That's who they are. They come when they say, and they um, get the job done. Their customer service is so amazing, you just kind of have to experience it to know what I'm talking about. But it is the air conditioning company and the plumbing company I, all my friends, and my family in Arizona use. They're just good people at Cool Touch. The future of air conditioning is here, and Cool Touch is charting it. Give them a call at 623-734-1932. That's 623-734-1932. Or visit them online at cooltouchac.com. Cooltouchac.com. Jane is in Phoenix. Hello, Jane. Hi, Seth. <clears throat> I have been thinking a lot before I talk to you. Uh, I have to be very cautious because uh, I don't want to have any of this identity fall back on my son. Um he is a contractor, and he works for a company that is currently trying to extricate people out of Afghanistan who have worked for them. Bless him. My my point is this. Mr. Peterson made a comment, and you talked briefly about how this is going to affect generation of Americans. Our son is in his early 40s, and um, his grandfather served, his father served. He loves his country. <clears throat> immensely proud of his country and uh we are watching him literally disintegrate as we talk to him and he comes to the realization that our country lied to these people and they're not going to be there to help them he knows full well that those people are going to be slaughtered he knows that and he is it is just I don't want to cry. It's tragic to see him change how he feels about his country. And uh, there are a lot of people that way, young people. I'm worried about the young people. On the other side of that, we have people in a family that he's grown up with and loved his cousins, and some of them are very woke. And how are we going to keep the family together now? Yeah. We've tried. Yeah. We haven't talked about stuff. That's been a way... But this this is too deep. Mm-hmm. This is too deep to turn your back on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you know. When I, you I say too you deep, to, first of all, Jane, thank you for your uh, family's commitment to decency and your sons, especially. Um, first off and foremost. Second, uh, when you say turn back on or to turn your back on, what does that mean to you, or what is that? <clears throat> As far as getting the people out? Well, yes. Uh, Not as far as getting the people out. What does it mean to turn your back on a country, the way you were using the phrase, turn your back on a country? Uh, According to him, he's been in this line of work for many years Mm -hmm. and and been in Iraq and Afghanistan at different times and was in Afghanistan uh, this time, but just happened to leave earlier. Mm -hmm. So um, his, his viewpoint is, from his experience, that in particularly in Afghanistan, we those people have been dependent like children upon America. Number one, yep. and number two, he says, even though we didn't make the promise, and this is something that comes back to. I used to 
smack him upside the head and said, you can lie without lying. Mm-hmm. He said, even though we didn't make the promise explicitly, it was very well understood by these people that our country had their back. Right. And they would get him out. Right. And, he's, and, he, and that's true. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And so now he's spending all his time, and I haven't had the heart to tell him, and I won't. You know, he's still he's still thinking that everything they're doing, you know, is, is going to work to to get some of these people yeah, out. And yeah. I know they're not. And I can't imagine if you could imagine. This is what kills me. I, as a parent, you always want to be able to guide your child, but sometimes their experiences go beyond mm-hmm. what you can guide them in. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, Mom, I have this kid. He's telling because the state State Department is giving very you know, uh, uh, shelter in place, and, you know, we'll tell you, you know, right. how you get to the airport. Right, and blah, right, blah, right. Blah. Come, go, and leave, the, and the stay. Kid, right. one, yeah. of his, yeah. one of the young men he's worked with over the years yeah. said, my mother won't come, and I can't leave my mother. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're literally begging my son to save their life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And how is he going to deal with that or feel about his country when the sh- it's the fan, it's gonna, it's, it it's, it's words is. fail, but I'm gonna do my best to give you some on the other side of this break, okay, Jane? Yes, and I'm going to hang up and listen. And Very thank good. You. Thank you, and thank your family, and thank your son. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your week with us. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Listener, uh, caller Jane, in the previous segment, was talking to us about her son who's doing everything he can to get his many allies and uh, fellow Americans out of Afghanistan that he can. And she, knowing that it won't fully succeed and all the problems along the way, unsure what to say especially given the depressed nature that we all have been um, facing, at least for the past, if not three days, maybe three weeks. All I can say is this right now, that we've spent a good amount of time in this country over the last many, many years running down this country. We returned to a time that Gene Kirkpatrick warned about where America had a kick-me sign on its back and that it was her and Ronnie Reagan's job, as she said it, to take that kick-me sign down, and they did, only to have ourselves put it back on our backs. But for 20 years, for 20 years, in a remote place that no one has ever vacationed to or thought much of or asked any Secretary of Defense about when he was in front of the Senate for his confirmation hearing, in a place called Afghanistan, for 20 years, there were pockets, commitments, expressions, and experiences of freedom. Religious freedom, civil freedom, and the freedom of women to learn without having their eyes gouged out as a result. For 20 years, a people unused to any experienced a good deal of some. 
And the only reason that they did was because of this great country. Because of this great country. If you want to see what loss of freedom means, it means this. The absence of America. Here, too, Jane and everyone else, the Honorable finds its due. There are tears for passing things, but the Honorable finds its due. God bless you all. Until next week, class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.